22, this is the word of the Lord. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink uh, the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where, they, uh, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of, of Sin, which is uh, between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the, the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we pray that you teach us your holy word that it would both cut us and heal us. We open our hearts to you and we pray that your Holy Spirit would shed light on this passage so that you could apply it into each of our individual lives. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So, two weeks ago, if you've been following us in this study through the book of Exodus, uh, we looked at the story of the Red Sea, where Israel passed through. There's a famous story where the Red Sea is parted, and the people of Israel have the Egyptian army chasing after them, and they pass through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea closes on the Egyptians. And Israel has now been set free from slavery. That's what's happening in the book of Exodus. And the passage that we're talking about this week that I just read to you is really the beginning of the next 40 years of Israel's existence. They are going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And some of you might hear that and you say, okay, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. 
And now they're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Why? Why deliver them from slavery to have them wandering in the wilderness? Well, if you go to Numbers chapter 14, you find out that that first generation that came out of Egypt grumbled against the Lord. And because they grumbled against the Lord, the Lord said, you're not going to go into the promised land. It's going to be your children who are going to go into the promised land. Um, Because of your discontent, your distrust, your complaining. I'll tell you, that's alarming to me that they don't get to go into the promised land because of grumbling. And uh, that grumbling could be considered such a serious sin. Maybe you and I think of grumbling or people complaining as maybe it's an annoying quality that we feel that about ourselves, we feel that about other people. Um, but uh, you would not say that it would mean that you should be stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. The Bible apparently has a different view of grumbling and the seriousness of it. And in this passage that we are reading, uh, it's the first episode after this amazing experience going through the Red Sea. And it's three days after they've left the Red Sea, and the people are grumbling. Actually, the word, seven times the word grumbling appears in that passage I just read to you. Why is grumbling and complaining such a serious problem for God's people? Well, this morning, I want to try to answer that and look at some of the psychology of grumbling. And I think this passage has some valuable insights for us. And so this morning, I want to consider three things about grumbling. The context for grumbling, when do you experience temptation towards complaining and grumbling? Second, the content of grumbling. What is grumbling? And then the third thing is the cure, the cure. So the, uh, the context, the content, and the cure for grumbling. And I hope you find some insights in here for your own life. So three things this morning. The con- first is the context for grumbling. When do you experience a temptation toward grumbling or complaining? And I think that this passage says, that the Israelites experienced grumbling after an experience of redemption and then in the wilderness. Two things, after an experience of redemption and in the wilderness. So first, the, the, the context for grumbling is after an experience of redemption. You see that there in verse 22 when it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went to the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So you see here, the mention of the Red Sea is this whole experience where the Red Sea is part of this massive deliverance that was just absolutely breathtaking uh, event of God's power and care and rescue for his people. And it's only three days later, there's a shortage of water. And what would you expect the people to say three days after the Red Sea experience? I think they'd say, you know, remember when the Lord parted the Red Sea? We're a little short on water. I know we're getting thirsty, but I'm... I know he can take care of this. I'm confident he can take care of it. Instead, uh, they are quick to take on an attitude of grumbling and murmuring. Three days after this remarkable event. I think that's often the case in the Christian life for us. Um, Evangelical churches put quite a lot of emphasis on the experience of, of a conversion. 
this remarkable experience of redemption that you might say is kind of like the Red Sea. You know, we want to create experiences where, where people come close to God and they encounter God and they come close to other people and they say, wow, the world is filled with hope and God is powerful and he's wise and he's loving. It's an amazing experience of redemption and which I am not all opposed to. I think those experiences are a tremendous blessing from God and to feel like, wow, God is there and I sense his presence, I sense it with people and I've been close to them. But the problem can be is when we set up the expectation that that's what the whole Christian life is going to be like. Those remarkable experiences, spiritual highs, deep connections with other people. And you can see in this passage that this is a lesson that the Lord is teaching Israel. They've just experienced this remarkable deliverance. The Lord parts the Red Sea. And the question is, is this what life's going to be like? Red Sea partings all the time. This is what it says in verse 25. Second half of verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. The Christian life, it's not about remarkable experiences or miracles all the time. Christian life is about walking in faith. It's saying, I believe the Lord is faithful and unchanging, and so I will trust him. And um, I think that that tells us that the second context for grumbling is not just after remarkable things happen in our lives, we're excited about the Lord, and he's done great things for us, but it's also in a wilderness is where that temptation happens, in the wilderness. And Israel was delivered from slavery. They went into a wilderness. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, John Neville was talking about the Red Sea story. And he was saying how this whole story of the Exodus is a picture of what our lives are like. You know, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. We are slaves to our own self-destructive sin. And so Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea. That was their deliverance. We passed through the waters of baptism. That's like our, this new life we're coming to as Christians. And then they spent 40 years in the wilderness. We spend this life, which is a wilderness, looking forward to a promised land where we will experience communion with God and it's the land of milk and honey. That's our story. And so uh, the first experience after redemption is a wilderness. And you see, hear how that wilderness is described, the second part of verse 22. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And Mara in Hebrew means bitter. So if you read this passage in Hebrew, it's just like this place was bitter, 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 four times bitter. And we know from chapter 13 that the people of Israel being led by the Lord, you know, he gave them a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day that would lead them through the wilderness. And so God brought them to a place that was bitter and had no water. God brought them there. Have we prepared ourselves? Is that our expectation for what the Christian life is going to be? Is that uh, it is a journey through a wilderness that God will lead us through. 
Of course, that's a theme that shows up in other places of the Bible. You know, maybe the most famous is Psalm 23. You know, the great psalm about the Lord is my shepherd, who, you know, he leads us. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me by still waters. He revives my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's this beautiful, you know, serene sense of walking with the Lord, and then the, the scene changes, and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And maybe if you know that psalm, it hasn't occurred to you that how did you get into the valley of the shadow of death? The shepherd led you there. The shepherd's still leading you. He still brought you there. That was a part of his purposes. Or, but he says, you know, I'll fear no evil, for, I, for you are with me. And the same is true if you look at uh, Jesus great moment of his baptism when he passed through the Red Sea. He's baptized in the Jordan River and what happens there is this great scene where the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove and there's this voice that from heaven comes and says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. It's this great moment of Jesus' identity and the Father's love for him. What happens in the very next paragraph? The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the evil one. Right after this great scene of, of God's presence and provision and power and promise is led into a wilderness. We should be aware that this is the storyline that God tells us will be our lives. There will be amazing moments of redemption. And afterward, he will bring us to a desert. He will bring us to a desert. And he promises he will be with us in the desert. And the desert, the wilderness, reveals something about our relationship to the Lord. And it tests us about, do we love the things that God gives to us? Do we love amazing experiences of passing through the Red Sea? Do we love wealth and power and success? Or do we love him? Can we say to him, I love you and I trust you both in the promised land and in the wilderness, wherever you lead me, I will trust you. So knowing the storyline, I think, is essential for our expectations. Grumbling comes when we had certain expectations about what God was going to do. We had a dream. You know, I pictured my life when I became a Christian. I had a storyline, and then God didn't follow the story, you know, the script. And so uh, we are frustrated with him. That is where grumbling comes from. This is the context for grumbling. It's after the experience of redemption, the Lord leads us into a wilderness, into a desert. Now in this passage, and in others, we see that grumbling is actually a fairly serious offense against the Lord. And I think that raises a lot of questions for us. So next I want to talk about not just the context of grumbling, but the content of grumbling. What is grumbling And again, two things I want to highlight from this passage. Grumbling is complaining about God's will and complaining about God's people. Complaining about God's will and complaining about God's people. So first of all, it's complaining about God's will. It's, as I said, I had a plan, I had an expectation. I had a will for my life that I thought was being promised to me when I became a Christian. And... uh, God has upset me. He's let me down. How dare he not follow my script? And I think that this passage shows us that the kind of uh, uh, 
that this kind of complaining or grumbling is always skews the version of, of reality. So whenever we're grumbling or complaining in this way, we're not actually describing things the way they are. We exaggerate things. We ignore the good things the Lord has done. We try to justify ourselves in our own actions. And I think there's an amazing example of this in this passage. If you look in chapter 16, verse 2, look at what it says. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is how they remember being slaves in Egypt. Go back and read chapter 5 of their slavery. They meat pots? Do they have buffets of meat that the Egyptians were just feeding them? Oh, all you want. Bread to the full. You know, you're at a resort. You're on vacation. That's how they were picturing what slavery was like. It's a complete delusion. We say things like this in the Christian life. We say the Christian life is such a letdown. And we think that our lives before we were Christians, maybe that we think they were so magical. You know, I was free. I didn't have God telling me what to do. I didn't have to deal with this difficult church and all these messy people. And, you know, I just lived my own life. It was amazing. And that's how we imagine what it was. Is that really what our life was like before we, Jesus' love came into our life? Or before we had a church family around us to care for us, even as imperfect as that church family was? It's a delusion. And a lot of our complaining is not reality. It's, it's coming from a place of delusion. Now, this is an important topic for us because we live in what you might call the age of authenticity. Right? That is our, the great value of our age. I mean, many of you, if you were to say, what is the most important thing for a church that you go to? You might say, okay, the Bible, they teach the Bible, and then maybe the second thing is it's a real place. You know, people aren't putting on a show they're not kind of pretending and performing for one another. When you ask people, how are they doing? You know, they share their heart and they're honest about what's going on. And I think absolutely that is an important part of our church. Because we know that as a church, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. Right? How am I supposed to carry your burden if I don't know what your burden is? And how are we going to carry each other's burden? We need to share those things. We need to know about the hurt and the places of disappointment, the place of struggle, the place of wilderness for each other. But what is the line between genuine sharing of burdens and complaining? What is the difference between being real and grumbling? I thought a lot about that this week. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I, I think it's there. Both of them are in the scriptures. That, that we should be genuine, real, and carry each other's burdens, and we should res resist complaining and grumbling. I think here's a few thoughts for that. I do think that genuine sharing is genuine. It is real. That means there's not exaggerations of like the, the Israelites are doing here. But also being real means being honest about what the Lord has done. There, are, there is faithfulness in the Lord. And if we never say things like, you know, the Lord has been good to me. This has been hard. I have a, I'm in a hard season, but the Lord has provided for me. I'm going to try to find and see the ways that the Lord has provided for me. If I never say anything like that, I'm not being real. And so we need that combined with a, an ability to say to one another, I've really felt disappointed in this season, or I, this, is, this has been a, a sad time for me. 
And so we need to recognize that being genuine and sharing each other's burdens is essential for a church's life, but we also need to learn to trust the Lord and resist grumbling, knowing that we are going to walk through a wilderness. We should not be surprised by that. And so I think what that means is that if you find yourself being someone who never shares with any, anyone what's weighing on you, you never let anyone carry a burden with you, you're probably missing the mark there. Maybe you need to let people in more. But if also you always aware your emotions on your sleeve and it's always bad news, and you never find yourself saying, you know, it's hard, but I know the Lord is good. And I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to trust him. He's proven his faithfulness. Or that someone else could say that to you. Trust God. Look to his promises. If you think someone saying look to God's promises is trite, then maybe you're missing the mark in the other way. So the content of grumbling is first a complaining about God's will, the places that he has led us, the desert he has led us into. And it is an exaggerating of what our situation was before the Lord came and what our situation is now, and it's forgetting his faithfulness. The second aspect of the content of grumbling is not just complaining about God's will, but complaining about God's people. And you'll notice in this passage that the people grumble to who? Moses and Aaron, the leaders of God's people, right? What are we going to drink? Moses, fix the problem, Moses, right? And it's interesting what Moses says at the end of that passage in chapter 16, verse 8. It says, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the, mor in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. You know, John Calvin, in his commentary on, on Exodus, points out that the people don't grumble to the Lord. What would grumbling to the Lord be? That's praying. They're not praying. And one thing that happens is when you go and grumble to the Lord and pray to the Lord, it changes you because you're confronting him. And actually, the Bible makes space for that kind of thing. You read through the Psalms, there's place to say, Lord, how long is this going to go on? How long is the desert going to, but the, the Psalms will also lead you to say, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll trust your promises. Come now, end the injustice. It's a dialogue, a back and forth that happens with the Lord that doesn't happen when we are only doing our grumbling to people. And so they have not gone to God. And we tend to bring our, uh, we don't tend to bring our complaints to God. We bring them to people. And oftentimes, we are saying to those people, you have let me down. Moses and Aaron, you have failed us. And I think these two things make up the heart of grumbling. I don't like God's will, and God's people have failed me. If that's living in your heart, I don't like God's will, and I don't like God's people, that's not a happy place. It's not a happy place. The Lord wants something else for us. And so that's... The last point we're going to look at, what is the cure for grumbling? And as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, Exodus shows us the story that we're a part of. We're slaves who are set free, free through the waters, and we walk through a wilderness until we go to, to be in the promised land. 
And that we need to anticipate that's the story that we're a part of. That's the story that we're living out and that we're walking through. Question I have for you, is that a good story? If that was your life, you were a slave, you were liberated, you had to walk through a wilderness where you trusted God, and then you went to a promised land where you lived with him for eternity. If that's your life story, was that a good story? I think most of us would say, it's a good story, but it's a tough one. It's tough. And I think it's better to say that's not exactly the story we are living in, because it's not simply a lifetime of desert and wilderness. Because what does this passage say? Look at verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. The Lord turned bitterness to sweetness. And then in verse 27, what does it say? Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 springs of water. Water for everybody. The Lord brings water. And then down in uh, chapter 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven. And then again in verse 8, and Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling. It's amazing. We see this all this seven times grumbling, and what we see over and over again is the Lord is not reluctant to bring good things and to bring relief and to bring springs and to bring food and even to listen to the grumbling and to respond to it. It's incredible love. The journey to the promised land is not the Lord torturing us for a lifetime. That is not what he does to us. And I think that we've all experienced that he doesn't treat us that way. The Lord has led us into deserts, but he also brings us to little oases along the way to refresh and to encourage us. He rains bread down from heaven. And if I could just mention one more psalm, if you're person who memorizes Psalm, Psalm 84 has been a real gift to me over the last couple of years. And it's a psalm that's about journeying to Jerusalem to go worship the Lord. And in the second, uh, or maybe it's the third stanza, um, it's describing the journey and it says, blessed are those in whose heart are the highways to Zion, right? The highways is this journey to, to Jerusalem. And it says, as they go through the valley of Baca, the valley of Baca means the thirsty valley, it's a desert. They're going through a desert. They make it a place of springs. Along the way, they're digging in the ground. They're finding hidden water in the ground along the way in the desert. And then it says the early rains also cover their pools. The Lord brings rain along the way that refreshes them. And it says they go from strength to strength. And each one appears before God in Zion. And it's describing this desert where along the way there's an oasis here, an oasis there, an oasis where, and they make it all the way. And, you know, I was talking to my wife Shannon about this psalm uh, this past week. And, you know, she was saying, you know, we often tell our story is it's been desert to desert to desert to desert. Instead of it's been a desert, but it's oasis to oasis. It's strength to strength because the Lord is walking with me. And as we read this passage, if you are in the midst of the desert, the wilderness, this is the God, this God of this passage, who to a grumbling people responds 
That is the God who's walking with you. Turn to him. Trust in him. The only cure for our grumbling souls is the goodness and faithfulness of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can read about you in a wilderness. And it is in you that we will appear before God in Zion. Uh, we, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here, uh, who are in a long desert stretch. I pray for your Holy Spirit, your loving and gentle word, to speak to their hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would draw from us words to speak to you. Teach us as a community what it is to carry each other's burdens and also to stand fast on your promises, to do both these things. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that you are God who's gracious. We pray in Christ's name.